0: Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 34 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I hope everybody's enjoying uh, the... Wonderful events that are taking place around Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, this past Friday was Dress in Blue Day. I know many of you listened to my conversation, actually my rebroadcast of my earlier conversation with the founder of Dress in Blue Day, Anita Mitchell-Eisler. And I just had such a good time uh, combing through the Blue Hope Nation Facebook page, looking at all the fabulous uh, costumes and everybody dressed in blue and people who dress their pets in blue Uh, It was nice to see uh, some of us uh, doing some neat things just to call attention and raise awareness uh, to our struggles with colon cancer. A couple of events that I want to share with you that are going on in the colon cancer community. On Saturday, March the 12th, for our listeners in the Washington, D.C. area, the women's fashion designer Ellie Tahari has an event going on at the Tyson's Galleria Uh, She will be uh, revealing her spring collection uh, during a special event from 3 to 6 p.m., again this Saturday, March the 12th, and proceeds uh, from this event will benefit the Colon Cancer Alliance. So for more information on this event, for those of you in and around the Washington, D.C. area, you can find this information on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org forward slash event. Also for our runners and walkers, two big events that I want to call your attention to on Saturday, March the 19th for our friends out in the St. Louis area. March 19th is the next stop for the Undie Run Walk. Uh, Hopefully we've got a lot of folks registered for this uh, great event out in St. Louis for more information on the Undie Run Walk in St. Louis and to see if, if and when the next stop is in your community. Also visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website. And then on Sunday, the 20th of March, is the Scope It Out 5K, which is one of the biggest events in the colon cancer community that takes place in the country. Big 5K event taking place in the Washington, D.C. area. Once again, for more information on that event, visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. Before I get to this week's guest, I want to take a minute to talk about a serious side effect that many of us are needing to address, and that's dehydration. Uh, For those of you know, whether you're on chemo or having or you have an ostomy, staying hydrated is very important for your health and well being, and the colon cancer podcast is partnering with the folks at h2o rs h2o rs is an oral rehydration drink but unlike the popular sports drinks it doesn't have sugar doesn't have any artificial sweeteners all those things that you need to avoid and it's a powdered mix that you just add to water and it does a terrific job of keeping you hydrated which is so very important and the team at H2ORS is uh, offering a special offer, is providing a special offer, I should say, to the listeners of this podcast where you can get two free samples shipped to you for free to try it out. Uh, in order to get those samples, just go to the uh, H2ORS website. That's at h2ors.com forward slash sample. And you can... Uh, let them know that you're interested in trying out their product and they'll ship you two samples for free. If you want to actually buy the product, you can also do that on their website and listeners of the podcast can get a 10% discount by entering their website as the, as the uh, pr- promo code, which is h2ors.com. So that's the promo code, h2ors.com is the promo code you enter uh, on the purchase uh, screen and listeners of this podcast that use that promo code will receive 10% off of their order. This week's guest is Sue Kadera. And some of you loyal listeners might be going, wait a minute, we already heard Sue Kadera about a year ago. Yes, you did. Uh, Sue was one of the first guests that I interviewed uh, early on in our podcast. But I brought Sue back uh, because Sue got herself into the TAS-102 trial. Colon cancer has been a part of Sue's life now for over 10 years and Sue's doing amazingly well and I have so much uh, respect for Sue and how she's uh, handled managing her disease. She takes such a active and, uh, or better yet proactive approach. She works so closely with her uh, care team, uh, has a lot of say-so in, in how she's treated and uh, the protocols used. So she got herself into the trial and is doing, as many of you know, that TAS-102 trial wound up being, uh, being approved by the FDA. The drug is now known as Lonsurf. She's done very well on it, and I know a lot of people are asking uh, for information about this protocol just based on the feedback that I've seen in the Blue Hope Nation Facebook group. So I figured let's bring Sue back for a follow-up conversation so she could share with you her experience Uh, with with her disease as and specifically uh, with this protocol with lawn surf so join me now for my conversation with sue kadera hi sue you're the first one i get to say the following words welcome back (laughs) to the colon cancer podcast
1: well thank you lee it's really nice to to be back
0: you know i was looking back uh, on our conversation you were episode three and this is episode 34 so we first uh, spoke almost a year ago and I, I didn't tell you this in our little pre call cuz i wanted to do it as part of the recording that i was looking back at our statistics from all 34 episodes plus the five or six that i did at the conference in phoenix so i think we're looking at almost 40 episodes and yours has been the third most downloaded episode of all oh, of
1: them no kidding well so I guess your I have conversation quite
0: a really resonated <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's very cool, very cool. So I wanted to bring you back on the show uh, just to get an update on how you're doing, but to really focus in two areas, and we'll get there in a minute. But I see you uh, jumping into a lot of conversations on uh, the Blue Hope Nation Facebook group, responding to people's questions regarding uh, managing multiple uh, lung metastasis, and your experience with what was a clinical trial and now is an approved uh, treatment, and that's uh, lawn surf. So I wanted to really spend the bulk of our conversation in those two areas, Mm -hmm. and people can listen to your whole story just by visiting com forward slash zero zero three, which is episode three. But just just as an intro, uh, just uh, bring the listeners, refresh the memories of our listeners uh, with your background and how colon cancer came to, came to be part of your All
1: life. right, I'll, I'll try to put it in a little short capsule. Um, I was diagnosed in 2005, uh, and I was diagnosed stage 3. Uh, about a year later, I had my first recurrence, which was in an abdominal um, aorta, and I had that surgically removed and followed up with radiation. Uh, I have had m- multiple... Um, um, rounds of chemotherapy, biological therapy. Um, I've had uh, SBRT to my lungs. Uh, currently, I just have metastasis to my lungs as far as my knowledge. That's the only place that, that we have been following for the past five years. And I live a very, um, I would say a very good quality of life. Um, I'm, I'm lucky in that my disease, I think, is, a, is somewhat slow growing. So I have been able to take breaks um, and I've insisted on taking breaks. Um, I'm a very strong advocate for um, multidisciplinary treatment, you know, going, going and investigating what's, what's, in radi- what, you know, what's there for you in radiation, surgery, um, chemotherapy, biological theory, na- therapy, and you know, immunology. Anything that, that you can you know, put together, um, I think, is the best way that you're going to be able to survive the longest with this. And that's what I've been trying to do. So I'm 10 years
0: plus. Congratulations. (laughs) That's an, that's an incredible milestone worth celebrating every day. And I Mm -hmm. know you do. You just said two words that I want to go back to. You said, I insisted. Those are two very powerful words. And we talked in episode three about advocacy and being your own advocate. Uh, I wonder how many listeners to the colon cancer podcast are comfortable saying those words. I insisted, tell me about your approach and your active role in determining
1: uh,
0: what's right for you. And as it relates to both your treatment and your quality of life
1: yeah and I, I realize that that's a lot of that is just sort of connected to your personality and you know whether you're somebody who approaches things that way um and I think that probably just you know fits the profile of who I am but you know from the beginning I've really been really involved in all the decisions that I've made I haven't always followed the advice of the um oncologist I haven't always followed the advice of someone that I, you know, I've gone for, always gone for second opinions, sometimes third opinions. Um, I I think, you know, you're the one who's invested in saving your own life. And um, sometimes you get an answer that you don't like, and you don't like it because it's wrong. And sometimes you don't like it because it's just not what what you want to hear. The only way to know the difference is to investigate it. And I guess that's always been the way I've operated when I've been trying to put together treatment plans. Um, You know, like I I have an example, actually, currently, um, I'm thinking about the plan that I'm on right now. I've been on uh, lawn surf for the last year, and I would really like my doctor to add Avastad to it. So um, just today, I went to see a palliative care doctor because I want him to help me convince him to go out on a limb and try this because, um, my tumor marker has been climbing and I kind of want to do something different. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of, of what I've done, I've taken, uh, risks that some people might not be comfortable taking. And so that's a big part of what I do. But I, I think for me, it's, it's fits, it fits my life and it fits the way I want to live my life. And it's how I've been able to maintain a quality of life. Um, so I, I always try to encourage people to, um, you know, be their own advocate and and sort of move out of the box that's, you know, right in front of them and see what else is out there.
0: Give me some examples where you've made some treatment decisions specifically around, um, I, I guess where I'm going at is because it just wasn't the right time and it wasn't convenient for what you were doing in your life at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I originally, <clears throat> when they found my, um my uh, abdominal um a- my aortic uh, met <clears throat> excuse me um i was told it was not surgical um and i was sent to a surgeon who said no and so i went to another surgeon <clears throat> and what i found was <clears throat> that no the abdominal surgeon was not comfortable doing it but he had a friend who was actually um a vascular surgeon so I had a vascular surgeon come in who was not a cancer surgeon. He, you know, he <laughs> worked with, you know, ab- abdominal, um, aneurysms and he did, does he perform the surgery? So that was way out of the box. Um, and I was, you know, I had, there was a luck, lot of luck involved, um, that I had a, a surgeon that was had the humility to look to someone else. Um, uh, another time when that happened was, you know, I was also told that I was not a candidate for anything but chemotherapy and I found, uh, Someone who did SBRT, um, which is stereotactic body radiation, it's very targeted, and um, I I think that was very helpful when I went. You know, I just sort of went past my doctor and went to see the guy myself, and I think it was very helpful because he um, he really reduced my tumor load. I had 19 um, Mets in my lungs treated. I currently, I mean, the past year too. um, It was I was had been following. Uh, lawn surf it was was called Task one o two at the time, and I'd been following it in the news, and um I, I knew that it it had a l- much lower profile in terms of side effects than what I was currently doing. I was doing full E plus avastin, And I really wanted something that was going to give me a better quality of life. So uh, you know, there wasn't any clinical trial where I lived, so i I actually you know went again, went kind of past my doctor and contacted Yale University myself, uh, set up an interview, uh, drove there, and uh, I got myself into that clinical trial. And what was interesting about that is many, when I asked my doctor about it, she said, well, you know, you don't qualify, you're not refractory, which basically means you don't, you know, you've stopped responding to everything that we have, because I was still responding to full-fury um, but when I got there and I interviewed for the trial, it, it, the the criteria actually said um, refractory or intolerant, and I said, you know, I'm going with intolerant. I'm kind of done. I don't want to do this anymore, or at least I want to break from it. And uh, and they put me in the trial. So there's sometimes it's, it's a, you know you sometimes you have to really look carefully and you have to ask a lot of questions and. And connect with people yourself, I think, in order to get results in in this this navigation. It's not an easy thing to do.
0: No, it's not. It's not. Um, But you and I have both had uh, experience with SBRT. Uh, For our listeners that are not familiar with it, could you describe uh, what it is, what it's used for, and talk about uh, side effects? Yeah.
1: um, It's a... it's a, a very targeted radiation. Now, you know, I'm certainly not a, a doctor or a clinician, and I, so I'm not going to describe this the way that they would. But um, it's a, a, my Mets are under a centimeter. Um, and actually, from what my doctors told me, that's a, a good thing. I mean, that's a that's a really good size for SBRT. Um, it's very targeted radiation, very high dose. But um, like I, when I had some done, I would have maybe four or five done at a time. So there would be a field that he would be working with. Uh, They work, they, they do a lot of different calculations, scans, they work with the dosimetrist and they make a plan that's just for you. Um, Basically the machine, you know, goes as an arc. I think when I actually had my first one, there were only 20 places in the country that did this. There are far more now. Um, And... I always call it the spa treatment of cancer treatments, because for me, it, it really, you, you went in, I went in, I laid down on the table five days in a row and I had, you know, I had the, um, a treatment, which was painless and it, I caught, I had no side effects for the first, mm, I'd say two or three times that I did it. Now this is over a period of a few years. Um, Later, I I did have some coughing a few months later. I do have some uh, residual um, scar tissue now, but uh, I still my lung is function is still within the normal range. I still row. I still um, have a really active life. So yeah, there's some damage that you know I was willing to incur, but um, I I feel like it's reduced my tumor load to the point where I. I can still take breaks, that I can still um, do everything that I want to do.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because I asked the same question when I had my treatment, SBRT treatment for a couple of lung meds myself a year ago. And I was asked the oncologist to explain, well, how is this different from quote unquote Mm -hmm. radiation? So, you know, many of our friends who, especially if they've been diagnosed with rectal cancer, radiation is part of their treatment protocol. And the way he explained it to me was well, standard radiation is low dose over a large area given over an extended period of time. And the result of that is lots of side effects, you know, tissue damage, and fatigue, and nausea, and all those things and he said the SBRT is very high dose very targeted area over a 5 day period I was I, the doctor said we you start on Mondays that's that there's no other day it's got to be five days mm-hmm. in a row monday through friday and like you no side effects that saturday i got up in the morning and went running yeah so. i mean
1: i can really com- compare it because i i did have general radiation to my um, abdomen when i had they they insisted really and in, it's <laughs> my one kind of regret that I should have stood up and said, nee, I don't think so. Um, when they did the uh, surgery on my aorta, <clears throat> um, they followed that up with general radiation. And yes, it was six weeks um, and it was every day. And I was, uh, yeah, I, there were quite a few side effects. I pretty much had to be on anti-nausea meds all the time. And it was a completely different experience than SBRT, completely different experience. That I, and I wouldn't even say it's related. <laughs>
0: no it's not but yeah you know, sometimes people hear the mm-hmm. word radiation and, it's a whole different not able to make that story
1: and you know and of course they and now they're you know they there's other things that are growing out of that too i mean there's are places where they do proton um therapy as well you know uh, and they're using a, a little bit different type of a an arc and you know i know they do that at that uh massachusetts uh, general or uh, yeah i guess it's uh, mass general uh, where they do proton therapy, so there's there's a lot there's a lot of excitement in that area. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't ever get referred there. I mean, you you know the oncologists are still a lot of them still have that mindset. Well, you know, you're systemic; we can't treat you locally. And uh, and I really encourage people, you know, not to accept that and and investigate whether or not that you know <laughs> a lot of people I think are are curable. Um, you know, somebody like you you may very well be Lee, you know, somebody who might have just a few spots and gosh, wouldn't that be awful if you just chose to stay on, uh, you know, a chemotherapy regimen the rest of your life when you could have, could have utilized something like that.
0: Yeah, no question. No question. So let's go move on to lawn surf. Uh, I know you touched on it briefly a few minutes ago, but uh, take us through how you came to be, uh, part of the clinical trial, why you felt it was right for you, and how it's gone for you.
1: Well, how it's gone for me is is interesting. I guess depends on how you look at it. I mean, how it's gone for me. I'll start there. Um, is I I feel it's gone very well. Um, so this is a pill, um, which I think immediately was something that was attracting me. You know, no more pump and uh, no more. Tie, you know, being tied to the infusion center and that sort of thing. I like that autonomy, and I, and it's an easy to take pill. It's an easy to stick to regimen. I've been on Zalota. It's a lot different than Zalota. Um, and so it's an easier to stick to regimen. I basically what I do is, the, and this is all, of course, calculated according to your weight. But I do five days on. I take it in the morning and at night. I have two days off, and then I do another five days on. Taking it in the morning and the night, and then I have three weeks off in between my my um, treatments. Now, normally it's not. I, I want to get this technically right. It's not three weeks. Um, most often, it's it's less than that. It does have as a side effect, um, and for me particularly, I think a low white blood count that that appear that occurs during the probably this first or second week. Off the second dose, the second five-day dose. So when I was on the clinical trial, they have very stringent um, rules about where your a you know your where it needs to be, um, and uh, your neutrophils need to be. And I was never there uh, by the time I was supposed to be there, which was tricky because I had to drive all the way to Yale uh, to to get the drug, and um, which was about a uh, six-hour drive for me, six seven-hour drive. So. Um, so we set up a schedule where I had an extra week off to bring my blood counts up where they tried doing Neupogen and it just, I, I really didn't, I said, well, you know, it it was just not for me. And, uh, she, the clinician gave me the choice and I said, well, yeah, I'll take another week off. Let's see how it works. So, um, that's, that's what I do. I have an extra week in there and, um, and I've stayed stable from, for a year. Uh, there's been no growth at all on any of my scans. Um, I have, a, my tumor marker has risen. So we don't know why exactly. We don't know if it's related to the drug or if there's just, you know, maybe microscopic activity or some other some other things going on. Um, so I've had a couple of, of things resulting from the white blood count being low. Uh, I had a couple of infections that I probably you know wouldn't have gotten so there you know there have been some side effects in that respect. As far as my daily life and quality of life I feel like the side effects from this drug are m- much less than anything else I've ever been on. Um, the nausea I have some nausea but it's it's tolerable I can manage it easier um, there's also fatigue you know I've been managing these kind of symptoms for a long time and uh, I I feel like, you know, I used to be sort of, I had my down week, couldn't really do anything. I had my up week, did as much as I could possibly do. And now I can pretty much, you know, keep going through the cycle. You know, I might take a a little time off here and there, but uh, I feel like it's, you know, it's much more livable.
0: Are you on it indefinitely?
1: Um, well, it's right now. I'm kind of looking at it and, and you know, giving it a little bit of a rethink. Uh, I, I would say I'm, a, I'm currently on something indefinitely, or I'm doing something indefinitely because um, I have never really had, oddly enough. I mean, while I haven't had any growth in in years, uh, I've never really had anything shrink. Um, you know, I'm starting with things that are four, six, eight millimeters to begin with, so it's pretty hard to measure shrinkage in something like that. But um, I, it, you know, it, it's just I think sometimes when you have a cancer that's a little slower growing, it's a little slower um, reacting too to something like a chemotherapy agent. So. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm tied to something and, uh, I was really hoping by this time that there would be something that was, you know, my hope is that as I, as things, as time progresses, they're going to come with, come up with more and more things like this that are going to be less and less intrusive to your life. So, you know, I, I, you know, I'm kind of still, still looking forward to that. Um, and I would say I'm, I'm going to be doing some sort of therapy and I'm going to be You know, planning it with breaks. Um, That's always been my approach. And the last time I took a break, my oncologist said to me, "Now, let me just ask you, if you have progression during this break, will you regret it? And I said, no, I I won't. I need to take this break. And and I think it's important for me to be able to plan my life that way.
0: I know that planning your life... Involves exercise, particularly mm-hmm. rowing. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Talk about what you get from uh, exercise in your rowing group.
1: It's so important to me. I was a runner um, for for twenty five years before I was diagnosed, and I I continued to run um, for a long time, um, and, and and just managed to you know come back from surgeries and that sort of thing. And so it, it's always been really important to me to to be you know, active and do uh, an exercise, I think, you know, for my mental health as much as anything. Um, and uh, about eight years ago, I got hooked up with this group of um, cancer survivors. They're, they're, we're called the 90s and we're a, um, a crew. We, we row in an eight person shell, four, in a four person shell on the river here where I live. And um, it, it's just a, it's just an unbelievable sisterhood. We're all women and, um, we are pretty competitive, although we're, you know, old and, and impaired in a lot of different ways. We're, we're all different kinds of cancers. So we, you know, we adapt what we ha- what we do to some people who can only row on one side or whatever. Um, but it's, um, it's a, it's a fabulous, a fabulous feeling to be out there and to feel that kind of power, um. And that kind of um, connection to other people, to the water, um, just a feeling really alive. So, I mean, I, I would encourage everybody to try to find something like that, that, that really, you know, something that gives you some physical physical activity. Uh, I think it really helps a lot with fatigue. It's hard because it's really counterintuitive when you're feeling fatigued to get up and go exercise. But um, I really feel like it's it's the best treatment in terms of um, of fatigue, um, and I, I do feel like it, it, particularly for people who are struggling with this disease, um, having that opportunity to feel your body, feel healthy and strong, even if it's for just a short period of time, you know, it, it's it just helps you keep dedicated to living rather than dying.
0: Well put. I don't know anybody that has partaken in some form of exercise that hasn't shared those same sentiments. I know Mm -hmm. me personally, it's this feeling of, you know, I'm perspiring. My heart beat is, is elevated and that's opposite of what one expects when they're fighting a disease.
1: Right. I'm not be, sick.
0: It, right? Right. <laughs> I and can't th- be sick. Those I'm are, doing oh, this. My exact <laughs> words. My exact words is I'm wiping my brow with a towel, right. wa- just walking on the treadmill. Those were my exact thoughts. I'm not sick. I'm sweating. Right. right? And I think there's so yeah. much, not just the emotional, psychological power to that, but it's been proven that there's physiological benefits.
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's it's not even disputable anymore. I often wonder why, you know, with someone who has heart surgery or is treated for heart disease, you know, they go home with a prescription and you're, okay, you're going to go and you're going to do this, you're going to do the treadmill or whatever it is that the doctor prescribes as their exercise. And yet, you know, no no one talks to us about that. You know, no one sits down and looks at the literature and says, all right, well, part of your, part of your, you know, treatment regimen is going to be, you know, we're going to going to get you into a live strong program or something and get you moving it's it's you know why is that part of a uh, rehab for heart patients but it's not even you know considered it doesn't make sense
0: you know my dear friend jean de carlo wagner who i also interviewed on an earlier episode she is a big advocate of yoga and she uh, teaches yoga over the phone once a month and 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 has a course that people can take from their recliner or even from their bed if they have trouble moving around so even the littlest thing uh mm-hmm. can do a lot
1: for you it really can and yoga is is such a wonderful you know the introspection and the the mindfulness that this kind of thing that it, in, it can inspire to you know i i credit yoga I'm i'm a regular meditator as well and i I think I came to that years ago from a yoga practice.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, usually I wrap up our conversation by asking, "What advice do you have for people who've been recently diagnosed?" But you already answered that question in episode three, so uh, I want to change it up a little bit for for this episode, and uh, just just talk a little bit more, you know. If, in your own way of, of encouragement as it relates to um, seeking out and, and speaking up for treatment that, uh, you know, melds and, and blends with the, with the quality of life aspect like you have. just Just some words of advice for folks listening.
1: Um, I I know it's difficult to do. And I think, as I said before, I think that a lot of times, you know, people have a, somebody might have a more timid personality where they don't feel as comfortable and they feel confrontational, um, you know, by doing that. And I I guess my thoughts about that are, you know, if you really are uncomfortable, find somebody who can do it with you or for you. Um, Find somebody who'll go to the doctor with you and, you know, express and back you up or express your feelings. And a lot of people are afraid to talk to their doctors. And, you know, I I also would say, you know, this is somebody you've hired who works for you, who's doing a job for you. Um, If you want to go find another opinion, you don't need their permission. That's amazing to me sometimes when I speak to people, you know, I do advocacy and I speak to people on the phone and they're saying, well, my doctor, my oncologist is saying uh, that I'm not a candidate for that. And and I'll say, well, go see the surgeon yourself and, you know, see... See what they say, you know I think you, you know you you don't you don't want to limit yourself to just one person's opinion, particularly if that's not their area of expertise um, you know very often surgeons will disagree with an oncologist, and you know I think that there there's movement towards um, there's movement towards multidisciplinary um, approaches to cancer management I think i think there's there's definitely a change in the wind as far as that goes. Um, but you can't really necessarily wait for everybody to get on board and work as a team. You know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes people are lucky and they are at a big cancer center and and there is a big team approach. But I've had to put it together myself, and um, and that can be done. You know, you just call up and you make an appointment, and and if they ask you who's referring you. I say, well, you know, I'm referring me. I, I would like to have a consultation. And you'll be surprised how many times, you know, if you call your, your, um, diag- somebody, whoever wrote, read your scan, the, the diagnostic, um, radiologist who read your scan, you call the, the, you call there, they'll talk to you. I think there's just the, there are all these little um, barriers that people think exist, um, because it's not protocol. But, um, they don't really exist. I mean, if you challenge them, you, you a lot of times you can just kind of jump over them and and you can, you know find out, get answers that you want to get. Um, I suppose that's you know, in terms of you know uh, of practice and protocol, that's that's my advice. Um, i think I think it's very difficult to um, um, look in the face of those statistics a lot of times when you're first diagnosed. And um, I think, you know, my, some of my strongest advice for people when they're, when they feel despair, I mean, I felt that way myself when I was first diagnosed, is that you really have to get past those, those, those statistics. You have to get past that. That's not really real. It's not really you. You're a statistic of one. Um, Anything can happen. And, uh, and if, if someone's scaring you with those, if someone's, you know, beating you down with those, get away from that person because they're never gonna they're never gonna be the person that's gonna help you um, you know, pull yourself up. And you're gonna have to pull yourself up more than once.
0: Sure. I mean how many people laid odds on you being able to talk about this <laughs> yeah. ten year ten years later? Oh right? yeah. <laughs> so you're you're the perfect example. Sue, can people, uh, reach out to you, uh, through the Facebook group if they have further questions about this?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. Great. And I, Good. I do go on from time to time. I'm, I'm often online on Tuesday nights, uh, with the, with the cancer group, with the stage four group until rowing season starts. Unfortunately, I row on Tuesday nights, uh, starting in April. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'm there until then. And then if we have a rainstorm, you know, then I'll be there. But, uh. Uh, How do you keep um,
0: your sanity in the winter?
1: <laughs> well, we row indoors in the winter. Um, really? Yeah, we do. We have an indoor tank um, <laughs> okay. that we row in, in in the winter. And then I, you know, when I was down in Florida, I was trying in the to get a visual boat. on that one. <laughs> I, it's it's pretty interesting. They shoot water past you, and you you're doing your, your rowing stroke, and it's you don't have to balance the boat, which makes it all much much easier. But oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can work on your stroke. Nice. Yeah, you know, and I go to the gym, of course. You know the sure. old erg, the rowing machine that I have a love-hate relationship with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, Sue, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show a year later and giving us an update. I'm I'm thrilled to hear that uh, things are going well for you, and just wish you uh, just many more years of uh, of stability and and good quality of life and. Uh, just keep us posted on on how things are going, and thanks again. Be well.
1: Oh, and, and same to you, Lee. I think you're doing a wonderful, wonderful thing with this, and I, I can't imagine, um, you know, what it must mean to people to to hear these stories and to be encouraged. Um, you're, you've really done a wonderful thing with this project.
0: Well, thanks to people like you.
1: Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www. Dot ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the com. Thanks again for listening. Be well everyone.